Welcome to No BS Engineering, the podcast for developers around the world who care about their careers. Join us as we share ideas, war stories, and talk with special guests about how developers can up their game and move their career forward. Hi, and welcome to No BS Engineering, the podcast for career advice for developers. We're here today. My co-host is Mr. Mario Peshev. Say hi to everybody, Mario. Hey, everyone. And my name is Cal Evans. Hey, Mario. Today, I want to talk about something that I learned back when I was probably 13, 14 years old. I used to read a lot of science fiction. I mean, pulp science fiction. You know, um, Arthur Clarke, Robert Heinlein, the, these guys. I, I devoured everything that um, they put out. Mm-hmm. And um, one that really stuck with me was a concept by Robert Heinlein. Um, it, it was from his Time Enough for Love book, but he carried it over through several of his the carried over the concept through several of his books that he basically said specialization is for insects. Let me, um, let me read the quote to you. Mm-hmm. A human being should be able to change a diaper, plan an invasion, butcher a hog, con a ship, design a building, write a sonnet, balance accounts, build a wall, set a bone, comfort the dying, take orders, give orders, cooperate, act alone, solve equations, analyze a new problem, pitch manure, program a computer, cook a tasty meal, fight efficiently, die gallantly. Specialization is for insects. And that, that quote, not the entire quote, but the concept has um, you know, really stuck with me. And it actually has a name. Um, it, Heinlein wasn't the first one to come up with it, um, but he, was, he really popularized it. But the, the name of the concept is Competent Man. And you see it a lot in uh, books and movies where you've got uh, one person that just comes in and they have a wide range of knowledge and abilities and they can just basically take care of getting things done. Hmm. It, it, a lot of places or a lot of movies and stuff will use something like this to move the plot along. But it, it's a concept that really has stuck with me. And for programmers, I, I think it's it's kind of important that we apply this. Um, we we a lot of us identify, like I identify as a PHP developers, but I know JavaScript. Uh, I've been using JavaScript since um, it was first released and it was called um, dynamic HTML. You know, um, I did JavaScript on the server back when Sun originally reduced, released that and failed miserably. But, you know, I also do Fox Pro. I've done Pascal. I can do, I can write Java code. Um, I can write um, both batch files and batch files. I've got, and you know, then we can program databases and there's a, there's a whole, I've got a whole stack of things. And, you know, that's what I want to talk about today. Um, What are some of the things that developers should stack up to, to be a competent developer? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Kyle. And um, I'm I'm actually going to start with a brief story. So um, I was born in in Bulgaria back in the in the late communist days. So uh, the the culture was completely different than what we have nowadays across Europe and the kind of standard capitalist culture across the U.S. And uh, access to to services, access to technology was extremely limited. I remember my my dad was applying for for actually receiving a car for about 10 years or so. You know, it was, there was a queue and you're waiting in line for like pretty much a decade in order to get a car. So this 
limited access and those scarce resources led to a mindset of you should do pretty much everything yourself. So everyone knows a handyman. Everyone has a neighbor or they are or some of their parents are potentially someone who's really crafty with their hands and can um, fix a bike and then, uh, you know, put up a desk from scratch in a minute and, and things like that, right? But just the, the percentage of people here who had to, uh, who simply had to undertake this was pretty vast percentage. So at some point of time, it became kind of, you were someone who wasn't really dealing with problems properly if, if you weren't able to actually deal with that yourself. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, and, and kind of this is one of the reasons why most of the people I know in software engineering locally in this area, most of the people are extremely well-versed in <clears throat> setting their own PCs and, you know, even fixing monitors and stuff and, and dabbling in all sorts of technologies. Back when we started, it was completely normal to, you know, if, if you don't put up your own computer with the exact parameters that make a lot of sense from a financial standpoint, then this wasn't really considered normal, right? So this type of geekiness was born out of necessity, but this is something that becomes more and more trendy and more and more common nowadays, especially in the world of software engineering. Yeah. And for engineers nowadays, just technology evolves so quickly that like, let's say a new JavaScript, uh, uh, JavaScript framework was probably invented while we are speaking now <laughs> and uh, a new version of whatever software just came up now with new precompilers and new disassemblers and whatnot. So technology simply evolves way too quickly. It's unrealistic to have um, 50 different people in an organization, one dealing with, uh, let's say, one just dealing with backend programming language, one with frontend programming language, which we already have now, but one dealing with a specific DevOps thing, one dealing with a specific networking stack, one dealing with this. Mm -hmm. Of course, if you're an HP or an IBM, that's probably doable because you have the resources and it kind of makes sense. But in the real world, um, you have to expand upon your uh, spectrum of things that you know. Yeah. And uh, I would give an example from the marketing world. Now, in marketing, there is a specific term that, that I really like, which is called the T-shaped marketer. You know, you have one core skill and then you have pretty much everything else horizontally growing on top and kind of developing and developing all of your complementary skills to the top. So for software engineers, I firmly believe that becoming T-shaped software engineers is the way to go in the future. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And back to your point of, um, you know, we used to have to build our own computers. Um, you know, I used to, uh, I, I make the analogy, um, I'm old and when I was growing up, Star Wars was brand new. But in Star Wars, a Jedi Knight had to build their own lightsaber. That was, you know, part of the ritual. And when I started PHP, you had to basically be able to load Linux on a computer, install Apache, MySQL, and um, PHP, and get them all working together to be a PHP programmer. You had to build your own lightsaber just to start doing it. And you know, these days, you can, you know, I can go to DigitalOcean, click a button, and all of that is spun up for me. Or I can go over to my buddies at SiteGround and say, you know, I, I need a site, and everything is done for me. I don't have to worry about that. And while that is very handy, I, I feel like we've lost a little bit because there's a generation growing up that doesn't know how to do all this. And I'm not talking plugging motherboards in and PCI cards and stuff like that. Although I, I used to do that. I used to build my own computers, but there's a generation coming up that doesn't know all the integral parts that are working together to make a web page display. They just know 
I, I write this, it comes out here. So let's talk about a few of the things um, that you, you really need to be a good programmer. And I, of course, the first one is you got to learn to code. I mean, there's a lot of angst over calling people professional programmers and stuff like that. But quite honestly, if you can't write code that makes a computer do something and has logic and variables and arrays and functions, you're really not a programmer. I'm sorry. You know, um, my, my wife is absolutely wonderful at HTML and CSS, but that's not programming. Uh, well, CSS is getting there. They, they got logic now, but it's on the way. Yeah. You, you need to know a language, but I, I posit that you really need to know more than one language because there are things that I still use from my Fox pro days concepts, not code, but concepts that I learned back in my Fox pro days that, I would never know because in PHP, they don't teach us this stuff. Um, you know, so I think you have to have more than one language under your belt. Uh, you'll be able to at least read, if not write, more than one language. What do you think? Indeed. Um, <clears throat> some of the most prolific developers that I know, they have gotten so deep into learning languages that now they refer to themselves as programming language linguists, right? So they're analyzing how everything works. They're analyzing which design pattern came out of which programming language. They're always referring to, um, you know, specific esoteric languages or always go back to, let's say, functional programming just to describe certain concepts that we're now using in procedural and in object-oriented and sometimes in aspect-oriented programming as well. Uh, so that's, um, definitely, that's definitely something that gives a lot of value. And I can tell for myself... I've studied specific things or specific concepts or paradigms in certain programming languages, but then when I have to apply them in others, sometimes they make a lot more sense or sometimes they say, well, you know, it doesn't really click with me. And just an example, uh, in Java, object-oriented programming is something I wouldn't be alive without pretty much, right? Yeah. It's just something that's so deeply embedded that everything in enterprise Java is just based on enterprise Java beans and enterprise containers keeping state throughout the process, a humongous application pool. So it works in a completely different manner. In PHP, of course, we use it quite a lot for various reasons, but given the fact that every single page refresh, so to speak, unless it's Ajax, it's actually invoking a completely new process or a completely new thread, which is starting from scratch and reading everything from the get-go. It just works in a different manner. You can't yeah. keep persistence long enough for, this, for some of those paradigms to make sense. So the, the very same thing is valid in, let's say, JavaScript and the way it actually defines modules and the prototypes in JavaScript compared to different data structures or structs in C. You know, each, each one of them has its pros and cons and it's applicable in its own flavor in different programming languages. And this variety, this um, richness from studying different languages and uh, frameworks is something that may be extremely helpful. And to, to kind of offset that, the, the programming language itself thing, uh, it's just as relevant when interacting and kind of dealing with a product type of solution. And one example of that is actually uh, managing a project. Because managing a project on its own is a little bit different than having the skills of working on a project by yourself. Oh, yeah. Something that most of our junior developers are dealing with, you know, they studied, let's say, at the university, they had course projects, they had uh, thesis projects, they worked uh, over the course of four or five months without actually knowing how to collaborate with the team, without actually asking the questions of, hey, why do I need Git or SVN or something else? Or without 
perceiving the idea of adhering to code quality standards matters because getting a bunch of people in the same, in the same room is a lot easier if everyone is following the same calling standards. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that you've uh, dealt with tons of open source work throughout your, um, you know, especially in PHP throughout the past 16 or 17 years. You want to give a practical example of that and something that's kind of a life lesson for, for our crew. Um, boy, you hit me. Um, you got me ready. I, I'll give you a, a practical example of, um, I, I can give a, an example of something that I, I learned that in one language, because you're right, you don't do anything in Java that's not object oriented. Um, PHP has procedural, heck, you can write functional programming in PHP if that's what you want to do. Um, I, I've seen people do it. I don't, I don't like it, but you know, it, it's wonderful to do. But um, in Java, everything is object oriented. Um, I came to PHP roundabout from the FoxPro community. Um, I, I had a brief stop for a year or so in Pascal, but I did a lot of work in FoxPro and that's where I really learned object oriented. And you know, to show you that you, you have to have more than one, one of the concepts I picked up in um, FoxPro was that you, you do wrap everything in an object. And we used to wrap um, the settings for our application because if I had to go in and change something, it was my responsibility to change it back when I was done, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we'd wrap everything in an object and we would change the, the setting, but in the object destroy, we would make sure that we had cop- captured the original state so we could change it back. And mm-hmm. this is not a concept of PHP has the, um, the uh, destroy method, underscore, underscore, destroy, but it's not a concept we teach a lot. And I was using it uh, just the other day. I, I'm doing these selfies now and posting them online. And I looked and my, my temp directory where I saved these things is filling up with all these images. And so yeah. I wrapped it in an object and I said, on destroy, go delete the original image. You know, I, I don't need that anymore. You bring over important concepts. Not, not, you're not going to bring over language or um, uh, uh, actual code, but you bring important Steve concepts. Back, yeah. and, Everything teaches you something different. Knowing is cool. Sharing knowledge is even cooler. In my book, Uncle Cal's Career Advice for Developers, I share with you five of the most important pieces of career advice I've learned. Get your copy today by pointing a browser at bit.ly slash Uncle Cal. I want to share this knowledge with you. Along those lines, um, I think every programmer should know at least two frameworks or two systems. Um, you know, I use um, I use Slim PHP as my API backend. I just wrote a, a well this this selfie thing that I did. The the backend is written using Slim uh, Slim Four. I, I love Slim, but it's also using WordPress. And I'm gonna count WordPress as a framework because it is now complex enough, and especially with the REST API. Yeah. You, can, you can actually build complex applications based on WordPress without actually using WordPress as the front end. <clears throat> so I, you know, I've got two tools in my toolbox right there. And I've got a smattering of Symfony, a little bit of Zen Framework. You know, I can bring them all together when necessary. But each framework, just like each language teaches me something or brings, gives me a concept, each framework gives me a concept and you know wordpress uh, drupal is another uh, solid example that's you know that's a very complex system that um it counts as a framework these days because you can build 
headless systems. You don't, you know, Drupal um, sites are no longer look like Drupal, just like WordPress is not look like, WordPress is not a blog anymore. It's, it's a system. Mm -hmm. So you should have at least um, one or at least two frameworks in your, um, in your toolbox as well. I was having this discussion on Voices of the Elephant um, with a, uh, a young woman who was talking to me about, um, you know, about what she should do. She was getting back into programming after um, some life events. And she says, you know, well, you know, I don't know where I should go. I said, well, you should have at least two frameworks. And I said, you know, I, I keep Slim around for writing APIs, but if I've got to write a full-blown system, I, I'm probably not going to use Slim. I'd probably lean towards Symfony. Um, although I've written, I wrote a, an entire mailing list manager uh, with WordPress because WordPress has user management and WordPress with a couple plugins can connect to my favorite mail system, uh, Mailgun. And all I had to do was write the stuff that made my application special. So at least two um, languages and at least two frameworks. Now, when you're hiring, um, what do you look for? Like in your juniors, what do you, what do you look for there? Um, so uh, that's an interesting question because for the most part, especially for juniors, um, I'm looking a lot more into passion and curiosity mm -hmm. and the ability to think logically and critically. Oh, actually. So, yeah, I mean, uh, in terms of technical skills, of course, I mean, everything that we mentioned makes a lot of sense, programming languages and frameworks and, and kind of being able to actually man a project and everything uh, accompanying the project is good. Version mm -hmm. Pro, maybe some people have played with Docker just because it's sexy nowadays or, um, you know, having other type of virtualization, which makes a lot of sense. But uh, for the most part, what we really look for is, you know, just the passion and, and the logical thinking. Yeah. And while I'm, I, I really sucked at math at school, it, it just wasn't something that I was extremely passionate about. And I kind of blame my teachers. <laughs> um, you know, like now kind of a decade, well, more than a decade later, but now I can appreciate some of the beauty of mathematics, but it just wasn't presented this way to me. Um, but, but mathematics just teaches that sort of logical thinking and that sort of abstracting and that sort of follow the, following paradigms and trying to prove theorems from those paradigms, right? So this is kind of, for the most part, what programming is to me, even though nowadays it's a little bit more accessible simply because you need to build software solving business problems, which is why this passion and this logical thinking comes really handy into, hey, we have this problem in order to do that how should we reverse engineer it to make it successful? So that's where all that brainstorming comes during an interview. Like, what would you do there? Like, well, I'm going to set up this, this, this. Where are you going to store the data? Why are you going to use these to store the data there? You know, why a database and not, um, I don't know, like an asynchronous thing or uh, a file, for example. Like, what, what would be the benefit here? What would be the drawback, right? So, so just this analytical thinking, just understanding the core concepts and being, being able to build a top of solid foundation. That's kind of what matters quite a lot. Yep. And one of the leading, uh, well, it's not a leading factor, but one thing that I pay a lot of attention to is actually whenever uh, junior developers have started with some form of a blog, or let's say they write on Medium, or they have some form of tutorials they're trying to man. Like just a year and a half ago or so, we hired a junior who had uh, teach yourself kind of plug-in development course. So he had several YouTube videos doing live demos, building plugins from scratch. So 
even though he wasn't that, all that experienced, it was something that showed me that he's passionate enough to learn and enjoy teaching, meaning that he's capable of synthesizing data into a structured manner, which is suitable for educating people, especially yeah. given the fact how important it is to actually man inline comments and documentation at work and a bunch of other things. Um, I know that you're also a prolific blogger since, uh, well, forever. And also very active on social media, just uh, uh, you know, pouring a lot of your heart there. So what's your take on developers spending time on writing and actually maintaining some form of uh, blog presence for sure? Well, I, I think it's, um, it's, it's imperative. Um, I want to back up real quick and say you hit the nail on the head when you said curiosity. Mm-hmm. That's what, when I'm hiring junior developers, junior developers have no, they, they have no um, body of work or roadmap. To, yeah. to show me that says, look, I can do this. But if they can show me they've got five GitHub repos about five different things, even if they're not working, they've, mm. they've taken the time to, to investigate stuff. That's what I look for in a junior developer. But you spoke about um, writing and blogging. If I see a junior developer writing up tutorials or writing up blog posts, this is what I learned, I know immediately that person is on the track to be a senior developer. Because in my mind, there are three levels of developers. You got junior, you got mid, and you got senior. And a junior is just learning. A mid is competent programmer. They understand. They built up a um, set of skills. They know how to code. They know how to um, basically manage a project. They got a smattering of DevOps. They're good, solid programmers. The only difference to me between a senior and a mid-level, a mid-level and a senior developer is that ability to mentor others. That is critical. And Mm -hmm. when I see a junior starting to write and starting to blog and starting to speak at user groups and stuff like that, I know that person probably has what it takes to be a senior because they're actively interested in teaching other people. So let's get them the skills they need. And you know, at that point, when I see people doing that, I know that um, I I need to start investing in that person because that person's got long-term potential. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And of course, that brings us to, to speaking. I, you know, I, I learned very early in my career that I love the sound of my own voice. So um, I, um, I, I, I got into speaking. We talked a little bit about this with Dave Delaney in the last episode, but I got into uh, computers because I didn't want to deal with people. Um, I, I'm actually a little bit of an introvert. And um, you know, then my career took this strange turn into developer relations, and now I do more interacting with programmers than I do interacting with, or with writing program, writing code. Um, but the ability to speak, not like me stumbling through that last sentence, but the ability to properly articulate your thoughts and the concepts that you have learned, that's not just important so that you can go out and speak at user groups and get a better job or um, be accepted to speak at conferences and get um, free airfare and two nights in a hotel. The ability to communicate is important in your day job. Uh, I've been in situations where as a mid-level programmer, I was called in to speak to the board of directors and explain where we're going with this project. Because I I was the lead on a project, even though I was mid-level, I was the lead on a project. And I I had to present this information in a way that they could understand. And so that meant being able, um, I used to, um, to have all my business cards that I was a geek to English translator because I had to 
be prepared to explain things to people that were smart, but not necessarily smart in my areas. So, you know, speaking is an important, um, speaking is important skill that you need to master, not just for speaking at conferences, but because it's going to be, it's going to help you in your career. Indeed. And I definitely agree with this. And actually speaking, I, I started teaching um, since I, I started a job about you know, some time ago in a, a training company that also had uh, an outsourcing slash development vision, meaning that I actually enrolled in a technical course. I was a little bit more advanced, which was uh, kind of my benefit. I was kind of cheating the system, starting a little bit more experience than needed. Uh, so they kind of liked me and they said, well, you know, we're just rolling out a bunch of different training courses here and we need more uh, trainers. So how would you fancy actually applying for one? I was like, well, I'm, you know, still a junior and stuff, but like this sounds super exciting. My uh, kind of the, the leader of the academy was someone who was extremely well known here. He kind of won a kind of uh, an award from the president for accomplishments in the IT world. So kind of a very notable figure. So I was going to pretty much work directly for him. And as we know, developers often join companies because of managers. And that's kind of what I did. I was like, well, I'd rather do a lot more coding just to catch up sooner, but having the opportunity to do kind of half-time coding, half-time uh, development work, uh, sorry, half-time coding, half-time speaking with this specific individual, this would have been a, a, a blessing and not the one in disguise, but an actual blessing. blessing. So um, having, this, having this opportunity for me was extremely revealing in the sense of that's when I figured out that I need to understand the concepts and the principles behind what I was doing on the job. Mm. So I was spending some time at work solving actual problems, but it was hard to actually explain those problems. So I had to get back to the basics and read documentation, read mom pages, read whatever else was accessible to figure out why I was actually doing this, what other alternatives were available, and why was this solution the best tool for the job. Yeah. And that's kind of another reason why speaking is so, so crucial. And, and this is just to complement what you just said about articulating your thoughts, simply because communication is by far number one most crucial and most important thing for every organization across the world, period. Right, I'm right. just putting my, <laughs> pretty much my life on that. And you articulated that much better than I did. Um, I, I felt like I stumbled through that last one. But yeah, that, you need to be able to communicate your, your ideas to others. And sometimes that's other developers. We have great things like design patterns and all this to help us communicate with other developers. But sometimes that's not developers. That's it's non-developers. I used to call them muggles, but I, I, I have come to the realization that people that don't program computers are not stupid they're just smart in different ways than I am. So, um, you know, they, they, they have their own skills. Hey, one of the things I think that is very important for um, programmers is to have some kind of non-computer, non-monetizable hobby. I mean, all of us, you know, we get excited, especially those of us that are passionate about programming. We get excited about programming. And this is, you know, given my choice, I, I, I do, I'd code 8, 10, 12 hours a day. That's just what I enjoy doing. But mm. later in life, in the past 10 years, I, I've come to realize that there's got to be more than me and this, this screen. And so I've got um, two 
hobbies that I um, actively participate in. Um, one, um, the lovely and talented Kathy and I both have pistols and we'll go to the range once a quarter and run some ammo through our pistols and, you know, just, just practice. And for me, it is, you know, yeah, it's the part of it is the whole self-defense thing. And I know Europeans are, are don't really understand that. Me and Michael Evangel Michelangelo Van Damme um, talk about this a lot, but part yeah. of it is just the precision. You know, I, I want to be able, I want to get better. I want to show that I am getting better at this skill. And so I enjoy doing it. And so that's why we go out about once a quarter. And uh, my other one, and this is, a, uh, this has become a passion of mine, is scuba diving. Now, yeah. I am now at the lowest rung of professional diver. I, I've actually been paid to lead people on dive trips. So I am a professional diver. I'm never, I'm never going to um, monetize diving. I'm never going to make my living on diving. Quite honestly, um, I, I can make more in a week of programming than I could make in a month of um, diving as being a dive master or a dive instructor. But mm -hmm. I still, I'm passionate about it. And I love the fact that uh, one of the things I love about diving is cell phones don't work underwater. So there's no Twitter down there, you know, nobody's calling me. I'm not getting text messages. It's just me. And, you know, if I'm not leading a dive, it's just me and my buddy and what's around us. And I can focus on something other than writing code. And my mind just, my mind goes into a relaxed state. And um, I, I really think that it is imperative that developers, especially those of us that are passionate about coding and just love the code, find something else that we can do that gets our mind out of the code. Side note, I also take back a lot of um, cool ideas from diving um, concepts and stuff like that, that I can apply to my technical world and or my programming and things that help me, especially help me communicate. Since I deal a lot with teaching other people how to dive, I, I find things that, hey, this technique works. Hey, I can apply this in teaching people how to program. Yeah, so hobbies are something that I'm, I'm finding, I'm finding it very interesting because I know a lot of people who are great developers and their hobbies are so diverse. That I'm trying to analyze that. I'm trying to find some form of a um, kind of explanation or, or some form of a hack, like let's say, well, I'm going to take it a step back. So back in the day, and actually, I've been trying to find this, but there was something like a hacker manifesto or a hacker journal or something like that. But I'm failing to find the exact quote. And, and someone said, you know, a lot of the great hackers out there, they are great linguists, meaning that they can actually articulate their thoughts, which is why some of them are actually grammar Nazis, which is interesting. Uh, they do enjoy fantasy or sci-fi or that, that sort oh, of yeah. reading simply because they kind of develop their their imagination and creativity and just uh, just abstract thinking. They also, a good chunk of them play on musical instruments. And, mm -hmm. and those are kind of three of the, the ground. It, it's not requirements, but common prerequisites for becoming a hacker. Meaning that not everyone having those traits is a hacker, but if you look at many hackers, probably nearly half of them are going to fall into those categories which is something that I started observing over time. And I, I saw that more and more and more of the people that I know that are great uh, geeks, so to speak, they were actually fans of, say, Douglas Adams and Terry Pratchett. They were, in fact, uh, dabbling with the, being the master of the feather, so to speak. 
And I'm not specifically talking about grammar, but you know, just being able to articulate their thoughts and just passionate about words. And there are lots of musicians in this community too, which is curious. And I myself was falling into that specific category. And my very first hobby, I would say, is actually music because I'm playing the piano, uh, also playing the accordion, and I do have a couple of guitars at home, a bass, and even a drum set that you know is sitting in a friend's garage. So this is something I'm passionate about, and I, I used to spend a lot of time on this. I used to play in bands, but I kind of had to stop two or three years ago uh, simply because there were misalignments with my kind of work schedule. So it was getting harder and harder to just. Uh, play with my band until 5 a.m. and then be able to be uh, productive at work. But um, this is something that helped me quite a lot. Recently, I've been spending more time in photography, um, kind of starting from scratch and learning so much about uh, best practices in photography and, uh, you know, the ways to shoot a landscape, the ways to actually master photos and automatic exposure bracketing. It's kind of a geeky hobby in a weird way that I'm also truly enjoying. Mm -hmm. And yeah, those hobbies are just something that can really get you out of your desk and put you in a different mood, in a different mindset for a while so that you're actually recharged after dealing with your hobby. And this sort of rechargement, just being able to disconnect, just being able to unplug in a world where Slack is bothering us every couple of minutes, is just extremely important to prevent burnout. Uh, which kind of leads me to our, I believe, our final point for now, which is relaxation. And I'm actually going to pass that on to you, Kyle, because I know that you're also really passionate about preventing burnouts and, and overall mental mental health. I'm very I'm very passionate about relaxing. Yes, um, I live I live in paradise. Um, I live down here in southern Florida and in the United States. Um, the weather is beautiful. Uh, night before last, I sat out on my back patio. Um, there's a golf course in my backyard, so mm -hmm. uh, I, I've got nice big sky open skies. I sat out there, watched the sun set, and smoked a cigar, and just uh, the, I, I didn't have. Um, I didn't have a phone. I didn't have my iPad. It was just me. I had my, my little Bluetooth speaker and I was playing just instrumental music and I was just sitting there and thinking. And I, I think it's so important. Like I said, this is one of the reasons I love diving is I, I can't be communicated to, but it's very important for every developer since what we do is so taxing mentally that we just shut down every now and then, even if it's only for 30 minutes, just yeah. stop, shut down, turn off all your communication devices and just stop and smell the roses. Think, you know, uh, let, let your mind wander. Uh, it's amazing the things that you'll think of, um, you know, the, if you just let your mind wander and not that those are going to be immediately applicable to anything, but it's just, it, it, it gives your, your brain time to recover and gives your brain time to, um, you know, just stop worrying about this one problem. And I, I find that when I do that, I come back refreshed. I, you know, I, I um, have new energy for the project. And sometimes I even, you know, I can sit down and look at the problem that I've been facing after taking 30 minutes, an hour, and just walking away. I can look at the problem and I can go, oh, well, there's the problem. You know, and it was a forest for the trees situation. I've been, you know, banging them, banging my head on something. I, I was doing this last night. I, I was banging my head on something for at least an hour. Could not figure out why this one piece of code was not 
operating correctly because it's deep in the bowels of the application. And I said, I'm going to walk away. And um, the lovely and talented Kathy runs a user group here in town. And so I walked away. I went to her user group. Uh, we talked about machine learning and it was fascinating. And I come back and I sit down and literally it was like somebody had just circled the problem in crayon on my screen and said, look here. And I was like, well, okay, now I get it. So um, being able to just step back and, um, and relax, take time to sm smell the roses, as we say, that's vital in the industry that we work in. And anybody who's not, gonna, not doing that is going to have serious burnout problems. <laughs> um, kind of almost as a wrap up, I'm, I'm going to share something that's slightly contrary to what you're saying. And I believe this is going to be helpful for people who actually deal with some form of um, you know, ADHD or just being grinders who really can't stop. I personally cannot put my brain to a break intentionally unless I distract it with something else. So, you know, there are two types of breaks. You have the passive break, which is what you just explained, which is wonderful. And people who can truly enjoy that, I respect that quite a lot. And you should definitely learn to do that. I, just as my mom, uh, am really fond of an active break, which is sometimes it is an exercise, even though I'm not the exercising type as most developers. Uh, but, but sometimes it's just dealing with something else, like let's say reading a book. You know, I can't think of everything else that I need to do. I can't, I can't think of my backlog. I can't think of a kind of programming problem I'm solving at work. If, I'm, uh, I, if I have focused myself and my mind into something that's so distracting that I'm not really thinking about anything else, which again, reading is one of those things. Driving on a new road is one of those things because, you know, it's just, you have to be careful of the road. You don't know where, where to turn and whatnot. This is just also something else that you can do uh, just attending meetings uh, sorry meetups and, mm -hmm. and kind of booking business concepts or even uh, uh, philosophical topics with other people this is something that I'm extremely energized about just as you said with the meetup you know talking about machine learning and just learning new things this is something that's energizing me but the whole point of that regardless of how you relax whether it's passive or active it doesn't really matter the yeah. point is you need to be more energized calmer and more positively charged after this relaxation. The point is to put your mind off of what's bothering you at work, give it a break, and then get back with fresh energy and a new perspective on how to approach that specific problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. And those who follow me on social media know that one of my new forms of relaxation is riding my bike. And that's not relaxing at all, but it shuts me down. You know, I don't think about the problem or something like that. So I'll get out for 30 minutes and ride my bike. Um, and, and I come back, I, I've actually got more energy. Um, one, of the, one of the side things is I've learned is I can't do that too late in the evening because I won't get to sleep. Now I'll be up to two or three in the morning because I, I've got energy now, you know, so I've got to burn that energy off. Um, hey, um, I want to thank everybody for taking the time to be with us here today. I hope you found something useful in this. I, it, it's always fun for me just to, to roll these things around in my head. And I always come up with some new things. And I've got a couple takeaways that I'm going to try to apply in my life. Mario, thank you so much for um, co-hosting this with me. Really appreciate it. It's always fun to sit down every week and, um, yeah, and just talk to you. you, know? um, you I, I learn stuff from you every time we talk. Audience, thank you. 
Thank you for spending some time with us. Hey, if you like what we're doing, do us a favor. Go out to iTunes, leave us a five-star rating, leave us a comment. If you think there's something we can do better, please drop me an email. Uh, my email address is cal at calevans.com. I try to answer every email sent to me. Please um, drop me an email. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear how we can make this blog or this podcast more relevant to you. With that having been said, thank you for tuning in to another episode of No BS Engineering. We'll see you next week.